we're talking about the uh, confession and absolution today, which is the fifth of five or fifth of six chief parts of the small catechism. So we've made our way through this. Um, we've started recording this as a podcast partway through. So there's a portion of the Lord's Prayer uh, that we've been that we started with with our podcast recordings all the way up until now. So sometimes the ideas come a little bit late, but uh, if you're listening to this via podcast, uh, thank you for joining us over the last few weeks. And again, here's uh, an opportunity for you as well to interact with us. You can type uh, in the comment section below the podcast page, uh, and I'll check out things there. And uh, if you have any questions or something like that, feel free to ask. Uh, if you're um, watching over YouTube, uh, please check in, say hello, uh, and again, let me know if you have any questions as we go along. Uh, I would love to answer them. So again, today we're talking about confession and absolution. And so we're going to get into a few different topics about um, what uh, confession and absolution is, what, what is a confession, how do we give a confession, and then what is an absolution. And along with that, we're going to talk about the office of the ministry, where we have um, this role, this office that God through Christ has given to the church, uh, and how that plays in with all this. So, uh, again, I think really ultimately, besides sort of just defining things and talking about how stuff functions, with this subject, we have um, something that represents a bit of a forgotten practice within the church uh, confessing our sins. Uh, to another person, confessing specific sins privately to another person. Uh, it's a scary thought. It's a scary thought even for me. Uh, but it, it actually is a practice that is a, that is a treasure that has supported and sustained Christians for, for centuries. Uh, the church has backed off of it um, for uh, many reasons. Uh, not all of them are good. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that too. So kind of a, a topic that maybe isn't thought about as much. Um, you know, if we were talking about the Lord's Prayer still, you've uh, probably said that many times. If we were talking about the second article of the Creed, uh, everything that Christ has done for us by dying on the cross and rising again, rising again those are things you've probably thought about and um, uh, have contemplated. But perhaps confession and absolution is not something you've thought too much about. So uh, one thing to note as we get started is that, again, there are six chief teachings of the small catechism uh, that summarize the entire Christian faith. And this is one of them. Uh, again, this is number five. So uh, we're going to go ahead and um, jump in then. Um, and here we go. So uh, first of all, uh, Luther talks about uh, how uh, in the large, catech large catechism, how confession and absolution uh, had become sort of this tyrannical practice. And I think actually that's sort of where our mindset goes, right? That it's a tyrannical practice that I should try to confess, that I should have to confess my sins to anybody else. So here's what Luther says. Um, uh, in defending the practice of confession and absolution, he said, concerning confession, we have always taught that it should be voluntary and purged of the Pope's tyranny. Uh, so confession and absolution was something that was mandated um, in order um, for uh, people to participate in the church, that uh, confessing your sins, and it was thought that if confessing did not happen, then the way to heaven was barred. You were no longer, um, you were disobedient, and you were no longer able to receive uh, Christ's mercy. Uh, so you were outside the church. 
Uh, two, uh, Luther writes, moreover, moreover, it so greatly burdened and tortured consciences with the enumerations or with the enumeration of all kinds of sin that no one was able to confess purely enough. I'll read that again because I kind of botched it. Moreover, it so greatly burdened and tortured consciences with the enumeration of all kinds of sin that no one was able to confess purely enough. So not only was it a mandated practice, but also it was thought that in order to receive forgiveness, you had to, you had to express repentance over every single sin you've ever committed. Uh, and that, or at least since the last time you came to confession, can you imagine trying to list out every single sin? Um, and yet this was the practice in medieval times going up to Luther's day that, um, it was expected that in order to receive forgiveness for every sin, you needed to name every single sin. Uh, and then number three, uh, Luther writes, worst of all, no one taught or understood what confession is and how useful and comforting it is. Instead, it was made sheer anguish and a hellish torture since people had to make confession, even though nothing was more hateful to them. So, uh, in, in other words, um, uh, this it basically became a torturous practice. Everyone was told that they had to do it, but nobody knew why. Uh, and, and can you imagine living under that kind of system that um, you have to do this thing, but uh, it's never explained to you why you have to do it or why it's good to do it. So uh, confession and absolution has always been a widely misunderstood thing, even going back to the days when it was more common and, and was something that people had to do. Uh, it seems like the church has always struggled in the teaching with this. Um, and so when we hear confession and absolution, then our minds go back uh, to this thought that, you know, oh my goodness, we have to uh, go through and, you know, confess every sin. And we, um, uh, and, you know, that's, that's something that's sort of like a, a Catholic thing, you know, and, and we've reformed folks get kind of nervous about that. And so it, it carries with it all this sort of baggage. Um, on top of that, in addition to wide misunderstanding of confession and absolution, it's also uh, part of our culture right now that we don't trust institutions and we don't trust anybody who is an official representative of institutions. And the church in particular suffers from this, that, that people, um, you know, hesitate to trust the church with uh, even their time in worship or, or even their money for, for an offering, let alone coming forward and divulging their darkest secrets to somebody who represents the church, um, you know, and, and, how, um, and how in our world, uh, how frightening would that be? So uh, there's lots of reasons. But another one, I, I would say another barrier that perhaps we experience um, in addition to maybe kind of shaking off some bad history and also some bad um, uh, situations or, or some bad distrust, uh, and again, that the church has in part earned. Um, but in addition to those things, the history and the trust issue, uh, we're also the loneliest generation, I think, that there ever was. Um, and it's not for lack of population and it's not for lack of having opportunities to gather and be together. Um, but honestly, the way that we have interacted has changed. The way that we have interacted has become far less personal than it used to be. And so just right now, even, um, and this is mostly due to the pandemic, 
if you're interacting with me, if you're watching this, you're watching this um, through a couple intermediaries between me and you. I'm here sitting in my at my kitchen table, and I'm talking to the computer, and you're wherever you are, holding up some type of device that is between you and me. So there's at least two things, not to mention the hundreds of of wires and signals and all that stuff that help to communicate this to you via internet. Um, something which I know nothing about. I, I studied theology. Uh, but anyway, uh, so the, we live in isolation and not just during the times of, of pandemic, but a lot of the ways that we interact, um, we have found um, ways to communicate with one another where we are isolated from each other, uh, where we can't be in each other's presence. And it seems to me that um, this is, you know, one of the darker sides of technology is that um, we are completely alone and yet we're also reaching out um, for connection through these devices. But what happens is that these devices that we have to use only confirm the fact that we are by ourselves. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of think about it like this, you know, phone, television and computers, when each of these things first came out, um, in their own time were viewed as ways of bringing people into the home. You know, in fact, I remember, uh, you know, just kind of seeing different clips from history, you know, especially when the first TV came out that seemed that people on TV were talking about how, um, how they were able to be in your living room, you know, and it's still kind of talked about that way, but now phone TV and computers have sort of become a defense to keep people out of our homes you don't need to come over. I can just call you. Um, you don't, um, you don't need to tell me that I've already seen it on TV or I've already looked it up on, on Google. Um, and so, uh, you know, if somebody knocks on our door, um, sometimes we're, we're surprised we're taken off guard and maybe a little bit defensive. We want to, we want to look out the window to see who it is and decide whether we want to open the door. When the phone rings, we want to see that number and that last name at least uh, on our phone before we decide if we're going to answer it. And if we don't see those things, we're probably not going to answer it. So we've used things that used to bring people into our lives. They are now barriers uh, and defenses uh, to keeping people out of our lives. And so we've been trained from early on to um, to to have a, a lifestyle that's very much concealed um, and and confined. And the downside of this, uh, or the downsides are many, but one of those is depression um, when we feel isolated and, and disconnected from the world around us. And that's exactly the one of the massive disadvantages uh, to uh, the society that we live in now. And all that impacts our ability to actually go and make a confession of sins and to say, you know, pastor, this is what's going on and I need forgiveness for them. And so there's all kinds of barriers. And and then of course, as I mentioned, the distrust thing already, but again, to say um, our independent nature kind of, rears its head and says, I don't need to talk to anybody about forgiveness. I'll just talk to Jesus about forgiveness. And so we, we kind of do that. We, we, under our own isolation, we'll, we'll say prayers. And of course, Jesus hears those prayers, but I'm going to argue that, um, at certain times, maybe we don't always every day, every week need to go and confess our sins to somebody, but there are certain points where we definitely are better served and it's a more spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, and mental, mentally healthy practice to go and confess our sins. Um, so we'll get into all that. Um, 
starting actually right away now. Uh, we're going to look actually at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. And, and by the way, again, as we go through this um, today, I, I forgot to state the, the, ma the major goal, and, and that is um, to kind of demonstrate that, not kind of, but to demonstrate that confession can be a comfort. Um, and it's not a tyrannical thing. Um, and it's a thing that you can actually do with, with assurance that when you do make confession, you'll hear the words that Christ wants you to hear, not, not the words that um, a person has made up. Um, and it's not a way of, of the church throwing around its authority over and above uh, another person. But instead, it's a, it's a way uh, that Christ has established to uh, help us as we wrestle with sins uh, and to have assurance that we actually have his forgiveness. So confession is good for the soul. It's also good for the mind and the heart and everything else. So starting with that, uh, with that thought that it's, that it's actually good, let's look at Proverbs 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that actually does have, um, uh, have a lot of role, has a lot of relevance to us right now, especially as we consider the idea of confessing sins. Uh, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. You know, uh, I think a lot of the scandals that we've seen in the church, when I think about pastors that have, that have fallen, that um, have gotten involved in things, uh, I wonder if perhaps they didn't have a, a spiritual aid, somebody that they could uh, talk to about sins they've committed, but also temptations they're presently facing. Um, and if they had been able to uh, confess on that, on that level to somebody else, then I wonder if any of these scandals that have happened in the church would have happened at all. Um, and the same goes for, uh, people in every line of work. It's not just the church. Um, but uh, I wonder how how much um, more we'd all be able to mature if we were able um, to take our transgressions, our sins that we've been working so hard to hide from other people and found at least one other person to share them with. And then to hear uh, counsel, to be able to pray, uh, you know, in a way to be held accountable. I, I have issues with the whole idea of an accountability partner, but we're not going to get into that. Um, but then also uh, to hear absolution um, and, and to go in peace and be at peace. When we conceal transgressions and when we hide them, uh, we guarantee ourselves anything but peace. We guarantee ourselves anything but our well-being. Uh, so whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses them, who confesses and forsakes them, will obtain mercy. And so there we have already, even in the Old Testament, a promise that um, confession um, will result in mercy. Uh, so what I'm going to argue then is that confession and absolution is a gospel activity. The church had previously made it law. That's part of its bad history. And our distrust of institutions only feeds that idea that they want me. They tell me I have to confess my sins. Well, we'll see about that. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and so, um, but I'm going to say that, that both of those um, perspectives are, are incorrect. Instead, 
Instead, confession and absolution is a gospel activity. So let's take a look at what Luther says as he defines confession and absolution. So here we are, Luther's small catechism. It's, uh, first question is, what is confession? And Luther writes, confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins. And second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from the pastor, as from God himself, not doubting but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, when it comes to uh, confession, uh, it's not merely an unloading. It's not merely an un unburdening. It's not merely just wanting to be heard by somebody. Those things are good and those things are helpful. Um, and those are things that, uh, you know, a pastor can be there for a pastor can listen to your event. Um, a friend can do that. A family member can do that. Um, when we're talking about uh, confession, what we're saying is first we confess our sins, um, but second that we receive absolution. In other words, confession and absolution; these two activities are married together. Um, confession is is our response to our sin, our sorrow over our sin, and abs and absolution is God's response to our confession, to our sorrow and repentance. Um, and so uh, there is not to be a confession without an absolution. Um, and so then uh, as we look at this, uh, we want to we want to understand right away that uh, this is something that is a bit deeper than pop psychology. Um, and if you hear my children screaming in the background, they're just watching a movie um, that apparently they're really into. Um, everyone, I think, is doing OK at my house. Um, so anyhow, uh, confession is more than just venting. It's more than just pop psychology. Um, but we speak to God through um, our confession and another person speaks to us, uh, the words of God. Um, and so, uh, and I want to stop right here. I've been talking mostly about the practice of private confession. Um, and that's where I'm going to remain throughout most of this. But I will um, make it known that uh, confession and absolution is a practice um, that uh, isn't just a formalized appointment with the pastor, but um, it's something that happens in corporate worship. We confess our sins and receive absolution for it. Um, and that we do on a regular basis. So I'm not as inclined to really dive into that aspect of confession and absolution, although we certainly could. Um, also, there are times where uh, perhaps I have offended um, my brother or sister in Christ. And that was tempting to focus on as well, because we're not very good at apologizing to other people and telling them that we've sinned against them. And we're not good at saying you are forgiven when somebody does that to us. Um, but uh, in terms of, um, uh, but the third part is again, speaking, you know, to, to a pastor and uh, a private confession or absolution, or even speaking to a brother in Christ who is not the person you've offended, but, but somebody that, that you need to share things with so that they can tell you that you're absolved. Um, so those are the three different kinds. So uh, one is the corporate absolution. The other one is uh, the other way that we confess is whenever we've offended somebody and they in turn uh, absolve us. And then this third category is the one where I'm really going to sit. Um, and that is where we go and share from our heart to a, a brother or sister in Christ, what is going on in our lives and, and the temptations and the sins that we're facing and having them share the absolution. Um, so anyway, um, so again, wherever there's confession, absolution always comes together. Uh, so what does confession do, right? So what does confession do? Um, 
Well, uh, we have something written from the Augsburg Confession, which is one of our foundational doctrine statements, if you're not familiar. Uh, this was um, uh, this was written by Luther's uh, right-hand man, uh, Philip Melanchthon. Um, and uh, so this is still at the time of the Reformation. Uh, and uh, uh, this is what's written there about confession. Yet the preachers on our side diligently teach that confession is to be retained for the sake of absolution, which is its chief and most important part for the consolation of terrified consciences and also for other reasons. So um, I'm going to focus on the last part there for consolation of terrified consciences. So in the Reformation, the idea of confessing to a pastor uh, was not tossed out. Um, as just, you know, this, this Catholic idea that was just as corrupt as everything else that was going on. Um, confession had become corrupt, but that was because of uh, the reasons we stated earlier, that it was mandated, the teaching was confusing, the, um, uh, these penances are, were assigned that were just outrageous. Um, instead, what we have here is, is that the Reformers were saying, no, um, the idea of actually confessing sins and going to receive absolution without all that other stuff is actually... A Christian idea um, and so they retained it but why did they retain it um, it wasn't just so that the church could impose its power over somebody saying yeah come here give me all of your dirty laundry and now you have to receive forgiveness from me because I'm in charge and and I've got all the forgiveness and you have none um, instead uh, it's for the consolation of terrified consciences and one of the most refreshing things is if you read through the book of Concord which contains uh, the foundational doctrinal documents of the Lutheran church, the doctrinal statements. Um, it's amazing how much the reformers, Luther and Philip Melanchthon and others wrote about uh, consoling consciences that, you know, to them uh, that they were worried about the hearts and the minds and spiritual condition, the actual spiritual condition of everyday people. And so it is out of that concern that confession and absolution was preserved in the Lutheran church, even though the practice has fallen way off the rails in our present day. But initially it was, it was preserved in the Lutheran church for the sake of terrified consciences. Now, Lengthen does say also, and also for other reasons. And if you're the kind of paranoid personality that's like, well, what are those other reasons? Uh, more control. Ah, um, no, it, it can be that uh, confession and absolution is there also um, for the sake of offering guidance and prayer for a brother or sister with terrified consciences. So not um, just to strictly speak words of forgiveness and hear confession but also um, that in that conversation, uh, guidance for the brother or sister uh, who's wrestling with her sin might be offered uh, and prayers might be offered as well. So, so those are what some of the other reasons would be. Um, so, uh, so that's what confession does. Um, but how do I know it's effective? Like where in the Bible does it say that I got to do these things um, or should do these things? or even that it's good at all to do these things. Where is that? So let's uh, hop back over here to John chapter 20, verse 22 to 23. And um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you see a nice advertisement on uh, the Bible Gateway website for car insurance. Uh, so I'll leave that to you. If you need car insurance, you can check that out. 
Um, <laughs> they don't pay me, but they pay Bible Gateway, uh, and it's kind of taking up most of the screen. So anyway, um, John chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And uh, you have here um, uh, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And that's important to note. So this is John chapter 20. Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. Uh, and last week we talked about how it was important to note that when he, after he was raised from the dead, he instituted baptism. It's also important here to note that after he rose from the dead, he gives his disciples this power. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, um, and by which you'll be enabled to forgive sins uh, or withhold forgiveness. And what you do here is, uh, is also what happens in heaven. Um, so um, you have that, uh, that Jesus has commissioned his apostles to go and speak the words of forgiveness. And in the case of somebody who is uh, unrepentant and obstinate and committed to their sins, um, forgiveness is to be withheld. So Jesus is giving these sinful human beings the ability to say that you are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Um, and so uh, to answer the question, how do I know this is, this is effective? Look at how it happened. Jesus being raised from the dead, having won forgiveness of sins from his death on the cross and his resurrection now stands um, before his disciples in that locked room. He gives them the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that fell upon him at his baptism. And then um, he says, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. So the one who has won the victory over, um, over sin, who now has forgiveness to give to the world, is choosing this method uh, as a way in which it will be distributed. He alone has the authority to do that. And if he says that and that, and that speaking is also combined with the giving of the Holy Spirit, then we can trust what verse 23 says. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so the disciples were sent out not just to say, you know what, if you, if you talk to Jesus, he'll forgive you. But they were, they were told to go and do forgiveness. Um, Last week, we were talking about baptism, so part of that is, is baptizing. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper, so part of that is administering the sacrament. Uh, but here also, it is, it is the preaching and also the direct speaking of the forgiveness of sins to the sinner. Um, so if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Said by the resurrected Lord, sealed by the Holy Spirit, go and do. These are my commands. Um, these are Jesus' commands. So uh, the next thing, um, again, to kind of dive further into the skepticism, the next question that I kind of thought about in, in, in talking about this is, um, what assurances do I have that my pastor will handle my confession the right way? Um, wow, right? So um, it's a scary thing. Again, so let's say I want to go and talk to my pastor about forgiveness of sins. Um, or if I want to confess my sins, I'm sorry. Let's say I want to go to my pastor and say, I want to confess my sins to you. Um, you know, what, what is the right way uh, to handle that? And how do I know he'll do it? Um, well, 
you know, again, it's a scary thing to just talk to one person one-on-one. They might be able to say anything. They might judge you. How do you know that um, they will keep what you say in confidence? And how, will, how can you be certain that they will reassure you of forgiveness? Uh, so here's what happens in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Uh, Repent, therefore, and turn back from your sin, or t- and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. All right. So uh, as we see this verse, it doesn't say that every time, um, you know, a, you confess your sins, that the pastor should handle it in such and such a way. Um, but here's what, here's the uh, expectation that Peter is laying out for the repentant sinner and the kingdom of God. That when the sinner is repentant, um, that their sins should be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come um, from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed uh, for you, Jesus. So um, where there is confession, there is to be forgiveness. Um, and so uh, the pastor then is, is accountable to his Lord and uh, accountable to the, to the congregation that he has been called to, um, to speak the words of absolution when a confession is made. Um, and so wherever there is confession, there should be absolution. We already talked about how confession has two parts, the confessing of sins and the receiving of forgiveness. Um, and so that, that is the expectation. That is what should go on. And when you say, Pastor, um, I need to talk. I've, I've got some things in my heart and mind. Uh, the pastor should listen. And then after you've shared your confession, uh, he should raise his right hand and say, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, um, uh, you know, so that, so that expectation is there. And the pastor is held accountable by the congregation and also to, uh, to his Lord that that would be what is done. That is what the pastor is, is trained to do as well. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of say it like this as well, that, that um, this doesn't mean that if, if, a, if you say, hey, pastor, I've, I've messed up, um, and the pastor says, well, how do you plan on handling it? And you say, well, I'm not really going to handle it. Um, I'm just going to, you know, um, I'm just going to, I mean, if I, if I do it again, I do it again. Um, and then I'll just come back and confess to you. That's not repentance. And in that case, the pastor would say, yeah, no. Um, you know, come back when you are, when you're repentant, what you're doing is wrong. Um, and so, uh, so the pastor does have authority, uh, to speak there as, as well. Um, but, and we also shouldn't look at it this way, that, that confession again is that the pastor is the one, um, who controls the will of God. Um, the pastor does the will of God, um, in that circumstance. And again, what is the will of God that, that, uh, forgiveness be spoken and freely given um, to the repentant sinner. Um, so on a side note, too, when it comes to confessing uh, your sins, uh, and again, I know I'm focusing on the pastor. I'll, I'll try to get to talking to another brother or sister in Christ here soon. But um, when you're doing that to the pastor, when you come in, you should note a couple of things. One, um, is there a space in the church where confession can be safely and confidentially said, you know, um, how does the room feel? Uh, <laughs> and so, um, are you safe there? Is it also confidential? Um, I know that, um, 
you know, where we are uh, in, in my congregation, um, we have the uh, secretary right there that um, can hold anybody from uh, coming back towards my office where they can look in uh, the chairs. There's a, um, there are windows, so you don't feel like you're uh, in some kind of prison cell, um, but also at the same time, uh, the chairs are set away from the windows a little bit so that there's confidentiality too. Um, and also every pastor is, um, oh, and I'll just say this. So if, if you don't have a safe setup for confession and absolution in your church, talk to your pastor uh, and uh, work towards getting something set up so that that might be utilized again in your congregation. Um, but also I'll say this, that um, part of what we um, vow when we are ordained is that uh, all things will be, will be kept confidential. Um, I do say that if a person hurts, is in danger of hurting themselves or hurting others, um, then I have to share that. Um, uh, the law is different everywhere, but I keep that as my rule of thumb uh, because, uh, you know, that's so that I, I don't um, endanger others by my silence. Um, but uh, in all other cases, um, except wherever harm is imminent, um, it is completely confidential. Um, and then last thing on kind of reassurance about talking to a pastor about your sins, I'll just say this too. Um that you would have to go a long way, a long, long way to go out of um, or to, to talk about something that's so strange that I've never heard it before. You would have to you'd have to be probably the strangest single person on the planet um, to share with me something I haven't heard before. Um, you know, and so you would have to do a lot to freak me out, to make me think that you are the worst person who has ever lived. You, you'd have to be a worse sinner than me. Um, and so good luck. Um, and so anyhow, uh, pastors are, are, are humans, uh, in, in case you didn't know. Um, and, uh, we know the struggle of sin from other people. We know our own struggles with sin and you can expect, uh, to be treated like a human, uh, like a person who also struggles. Um, and so, uh, let's talk about this. Is it necessary? Right. Um, so again, we've been talking about this thing. I've been, I feel, I feel even as I talk about this strange practice of confession and absolution that it might sound to you, the hearer, uh, like I'm just coming completely from outer space. Like I've got this imagined scenario in my head. Um, so is it necessary? Uh, Luther writes this in the large catechism. He says, besides this public daily and necessary confession, there's also the secret confession, which takes place privately before a single brother. When some problem or quarrel sets us at one another's throats and we cannot settle it, and yet we do not find ourselves sufficiently strong in faith, we may at any time and as often as we will wish lay our complaint before a brother, seeking his advice, comfort, and strength. And so um, I, I love what Luther says there because, um, you know, when he's he, he he mentions how uh, there are just some problems that are too big for us. He's talking about quarreling and fighting, but there's many other problems that get to be too big for us. And when we recognize that, then he writes, we may at any time, as often as we wish, lay our complaint before our brother, seeking his advice, comfort, and strength. Um, and so this is, uh, again, this is from the large catechism as, as uh, Luther's writing about confession. So uh, we have here that, um, you know, uh, sometimes our, our problems will force us um, 
to seek help and support. And that's precisely why this uh, confession and absolution thing is here. Um, and uh, that's exactly why it exists. And, is, and that's the reason why I, as a pastor, keep my door open um, so that if somebody feels like they need to come in uh, and talk, they can do so. Um, I don't want that door to be a barrier to that. And so uh, it's only closed if somebody else is already <laughs> taking advantage of that. Um, so, uh, so is it necessary? Well, yeah, um, it's going to be. Uh, from time to time, it's going to be. Um, in fact, Luther also wrote that, um, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, but um, when I urge you to, um, to make confession, I'm simply urging you to be a Christian. Um, our lives are lives of repentance. Um, and sometimes that repentance needs to happen before uh, somebody else so that we can hear in a real flesh and blood way. We can have somebody besides ourselves tell us that we are forgiven. Um, all right. So the other thing is, can only pastors, we've been talking a lot about pastors doing this. And again, that's because I, I sense that there's just a bunch of barriers um, to that in, in many people's minds. But can only pastors absolve a person after hearing confession? No. Um, let's look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. All right. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this ability to absolve sins um, is given to the church, and the church formally, or formerly, I'm sorry, formally, <laughs> gives it to the pastor. Um, so the pastor is that guy that you know you can go to. But is he the only one? No. Um, you as a believer also have the ability to speak the words of forgiveness to somebody else. If somebody comes to you, um, you can speak those words. Uh, and that person um, will be forgiven as you speak those words to them. Um, and so uh, you are part of the royal priesthood. That means you're in the forgiveness business. Um, and uh, so, again, we might think, man, I don't want... Uh, I don't think anybody should have the ability to, to tell me I'm forgiven. Only Jesus can tell me that. But while you're thinking that, if you're a Christian, you also have already been given the gift to tell others they're forgiven. That's a gift you have um, uh, you know, that has been given to you as, uh, as a part of receiving the Holy Spirit at your baptism. Um, so you can tell others that you are forgiven. Um, and so uh, next thing, uh, just kind of again about about again, the, the pastor and this, and this uh, call that we have uh, as further assurance that, uh, again, pastors have this ability right along with you. Um, so forgiveness doesn't belong to the pastor. Um, as I already mentioned, he's not the one controlling God's forgiveness. He's the one doing God's will uh, when it comes to forgiveness. And once again, that will is, is that the repentant sinner should receive forgiveness. So uh, the church calls uh, a pastor to publicly administer the sacraments and also uh, to provide absolution where there is confession. So this means then that the church actually is what has the keys. The church has the keys. In other words, the church has the ability through proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to unlock the kingdom of heaven or to lock it for the unrepentant. The church then takes the keys when they call a pastor and they say, here you go, pastor. 
Um, and so, uh, again, the, the pastor is not the owner of it. Um, the pastor that you see in front of you is merely using borrowed keys. Um, they're not even his. And uh, as and he is proclaimed to speak them in a certain way. If he does, if he does fail in these duties to uh, absolve people when they are confessed, then um, again, there there are consequences for the pastor who has violated his his uh, vows, who has uh, turned his back on the congregation, and um, is answerable to the Lord. So um, there are consequences for those things. Um, all right, and so uh, again, First Corinthians four one. Uh, this is how uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, and so, again, stewards aren't kings. Stewards aren't lords. Uh, steward, stewards aren't in possession of uh, of the forgiveness that, that Jesus uh, is administering throughout the world. Um, they've been given a responsibility uh, and a task. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that they're the ones who are ultimately in charge and that you have to uh, kiss our feet. I would find that awkward anyway. Um, and so... Um, I'm not much of a hugger. If you, if we go to feet kissing, um, my feet might be going out the door. So, um, uh, and then also, you know, um, here we have Matthew 16, 18, where, um, no, uh, does not, this does not establish Peter as the Pope or anything like that. Um, I'm afraid that as we're talking about confession and absolution and given how closely associated that practice is with the Catholic Catholic church, I'm almost hesitant to bring up this verse about Peter which is so often used uh, to defend uh, having a Pope. Um, there's no connection in this verse between Peter and the Pope. But what we have here, and what I'm about to read, is Jesus giving to a specific human being a specific um, uh, authority. And, and, and he says, And I tell you, you're Peter on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And um, we need to add a verse. I should have had 19 here as well. So I'm going to do that. One moment, please. All right. All right. And there is more on our subject. So uh, verse 19, again, Jesus talking to Peter, the rock, uh, on whom he will build his church. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. Um, the binding and loosing, there's a lot of, um, uh, technical wording there and translating from Greek, but essentially, um, again, the keys of the kingdom, um, it's, it's opening up or locking, um, the forgiveness of sins, opening up for the repentant, locking only, um, for the, uh, stubbornly unrepentant. Um, so, uh, here Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, I give you this authority. Um, you will be able to declare forgiveness. Um, and so uh, here again, uh, this is this is Jesus' words to another sinful human being. Uh, so whenever you hear the pastor say that your sins are, are forgiven, that sinful human being is merely um, exercising stewardship over the keys um, that were given specifically to him by the church, yes, but not in a way that... Um, uh, he can pretend to be an owner of those keys. Um, he's merely doing the will of Jesus in that moment. Um, and so um, 
one other uh, couple of notes as we close today about confession and absolution. Um, and that is that uh, it, it's a confession about confession. Here we go. Uh, because I recognize that in my own life, even, even as I'm talking about this, that it's not something that I have taken advantage of as much as I've needed to, as much as I've needed to. So there are times where um, I've been sinful and rebellious in this practice. And so um, I think we should take note of that too, that, that even pastors, the ones who announce the forgiveness of sins, um, I firmly believe ought to have somebody that they themselves are confessing to and having that person under the authority that Christ gave them tell the pastor that they are forgiven. Um, so again, it's, it's a, it's another thing, I guess, to kind of even the playing field that we should all be submitting to um, out of love for one another. Um, it's not a hierarchical structure. Um, and so, um, so with that, um, I'm, I guess I can say about myself that I'm a son of the loneliest and most distrusting generation. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I have no doubt um, that, that much of my life, especially when it comes to my own spiritual growth, would have been made much easier if I had not, uh, if I had taken advantage of what Christ has gifted to his church. And that is this idea, this concept, where one person can speak the words of Christ, the assurance um, that is found in the absolution to another person. Um, and that uh, I can look another person in the eye and say that I have, I have broken the commandments, I have sinned in the following ways. And then I can hear how those following uh, or those exact sins um, have been atoned for by Jesus. So beyond just a general, hey, I'm a sinner uh, and on Sunday morning and I've, I've sinned in thought, word, and deed, um, but I can take what's really on my conscience and bring it before another person. Um, and so I, I haven't taken advantage of that. Um, and the times that I have in my life um, has typically represented a turning point or a time where I found that my uh, own growth um, has, uh, has picked up, has accelerated. And so, um, again, it's something that, that I think we all as a church are, are challenged in, in doing, um, for the reasons I've stated above and probably a few more reasons that I haven't even thought of. Um, but, uh, it's something also that, um, if we're able to talk about it, if we're able to study it further, if we're able to get into it, um, then, I think the church itself will experience significant um, maturity. Um, and I say this in a time where we have a culture that judges um, apologies um, uh, and doesn't judge them very well. We have a culture that when a person messes up, um, you know, that person will be buried forever. Um, and the culture will demand an apology from a person who makes a mistake, but they will not offer forgiveness um, ever. Uh, we live in a very unforgiving uh, world, and that's part of what makes this time so difficult. It's part of the reason why we see so many scandals, I think, because, uh, one, people are sinful, and they do bad things. Um, but also, um, when a person sins, they have no place to go, um, and so they let their sin eat them alive uh, from the inside out. Uh, and this confession and absolution, I believe, um, is the answer to that. Um, to be able to say uh, to another person in a flesh and blood way that I messed up and then to hear them say that you are forgiven. Jesus came in, in flesh and blood. Jesus came to do real things, to say 
words with his vocal cords that would enter into our ears um, just as he blessed and ordained baptism just as he or instituted baptism and just as he blessed and instituted the lord's supper real physical things so also uh, he has given us this gift um, that a person can represent Jesus to me and Jesus can speak through through that person so that when I confess my sins, I know I am hearing forgiveness. Um, so a big question in front of us is how do we trust each other enough to do this? Um, how do I grow in my trust to confess the sins that um, to confess my sins? Uh, how do you grow in yours to confess yours? Um Honestly, at the end of the day, I, I can't think of a great solution other than the fact that it will take risk and leaps of faith. Um, and those leaps of faith and risk will have to be rewarded by mature, educated Christians who are ready to say the words of absolution to the brokenhearted. Uh, and so uh, we'll conclude on that note. Thank you again for joining us uh, today. We'll be back next week. Uh, if you feel that this would uh, help somebody or if you have some people that are absolutely against confession and absolution and you want to annoy them, I share this. <laughs> and so uh, if you um, have not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel or to our podcast, uh, please do so. That actually helps us get the word out further beyond uh, just our subscriptions, because the more subscriptions we have, the services we use to put uh, content out, say, hey, people are interested in this and they will push our stuff out further. So. Um, please subscribe um, either to the podcast or the YouTube channel. Uh, and again, share this with anybody who you feel might benefit from it. Uh, so thank you once again for listening and we'll be back next week.